This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Launchpad on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Launchpad here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Rob Cunnivier, a founder and managing director at Chasta Ventures, a leading venture capital firm where we focus on investing in early stage companies. So today, joining me via Zoom is Chris Stadler. He is the chief marketing officer at Tonal. And as all, as we all know, smart home equipment is growing in popularity. It's really seen an explosive growth in popularity during the pandemic that we're living through right now. And Tonal is one of the leaders in this space. So Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Happy to be here, Rob. Yeah, so why don't we just start out with, for people that aren't familiar with Tonal, what, what is Tonal? Tonal is the most revolutionary piece of fitness equipment ever created. Uh, it's been in development for over five years and we've been on the market for a year and a half. And we call it the smartest home gym. Uh, and it basically combines uh, personalized expert guidance, uh, revolutionary digital weights, um, all packed into something that's the size of a flat screen TV, fits really easily into your home, uh, and basically gives you every uh, workout you could have at the gym and the comfort and convenience of your own home. Uh, and the piece that's really set us apart uh, is the digital weights. And uh, what we found is that that has really enabled and unlocked a whole world of AI uh, and so that is the intelligence factor behind Tonal that allows us to get smarter with you every time you lift. So that's actually quite a long description. And, you yeah. know, I, I would say looking at this up front or just for full disclosure, I serve on Tonal's board. Shasta is a major investor in the company. We, we are quite excited about the company. So I want to have that full disclosure there. The, mm -hmm. Where you started with your description was the most revolutionary piece of equipment. And I think mm -hmm. for people that have followed fitness equipment in general over the last decade, couple decades, mm -hmm. that claim seems to get made year after year after year. And you've gone into some of the specifics like the electromagnetic resistance and the AI. Mm -hmm. And at least from where I sit looking at it, this is the first time that somebody really has brought machine learning and deep technology, modern technology based on silicon and the internet, et cetera, it's a lot mm -hmm. different than anybody did with Bowflex or other things like that in the past. When you think about the category, you know, it's it's really littered with a sorted past of overpromises, you know, products that that just collected dust in your home, you know, never really caught on and and became a habit for the family. You know, what what the beauty of this product is um, is largely in part of, due to its design, and so it's not relegated to your garage or your basement where you ignore it. You know, it's it's often in our members' homes in their living room or their bedroom. And so it's very integral into their life, which is part of its success. Yeah, well, one of the things that I mentioned to people when they asked me about Tunnel, and I may go off the reservation a little <laughs> bit in terms of what I'm allowed to say and not say, so I'll follow you lead here, <laughs> okay. uh, is the numbers on engagement. Are you able to share a little bit when you take a look at somebody that's bought a $4,000 piece of equipment, I'm, I'm sure yeah. you would say like, um, you know, $29.99, but you know, it's, it's right. roughly 4,000 to get into your home and a $49 a month subscription. Um, what is the engagement like once people do this and they get over that hump and they install this on their wall and they engage? The engagement's extraordinary and it's really best in class when you compare it 
uh, with other leading products on the market, uh, our average workout time is about 40 minutes. And when you think about, um, you know, versus Peloton, it's about double the, the workout time. Uh, we're at about 15 days, workout days a month. So every other day for um, users are, are experiencing tonal uh, and getting a good workout in. Uh, that's that's really good good usage rates, and we're happy. You know, we can, we only think that that's going to get higher as we launch and drive the penetration of of other forms of, and modalities of, of fitness. So we had we had launched with strength training. We now have you know several other modalities, including yoga, boxing, uh, Pilates, uh, you know, pre and postnatal uh, cl classes. So it's really becoming a more complete proposition for the entire family and then to drive uh, usage throughout the day. So we've got a partnership with Theragun as an example. And so we have recovery, active recovery sessions where you can really work, work sore muscles. Um, so again, it, we're already best in class and we only see that getting better. We so, wanted to- So I just wanna, yeah, I just wanna clarify, 40 minutes a day, basically yeah. every other day. And yeah. we're seeing that when people buy it and install it in their homes, that that's pretty consistent over time, you know, once they've Very had it for so. a year as well. Very much so. And, you know, as you can imagine, churn is something that's very um, prevalent in the fitness industry. You know, half of gym memberships uh, go not renewed. Uh, we have less than 1% churn uh, at the end of each year. So it's really um, a testament to the, to the power of the product and, and how much our, our members are engaging with it. Yeah, no, that's a pretty remarkable uh, number. So when people, you know, you, you came into this marketing role and we needed a lot of help. You know, we got off to a great start. We had um, an early head of marketing that really did a great job of getting us mm -hmm. uh, launched and on the map in the early days. But then you came in and really supercharged everything. And for people that aren't familiar with your background, you know, you've won an Emmy Award. You've been nominated five times an executive producer for the uh, Ironman World Championship, I think, on mm -hmm. NBC. You ran yeah. marketing for Ironman for a while, grew it dramatically, and you're considered by Forbes one of the top 50 game-changing CMOs, uh, CMOs mm -hmm. that are redefining the CMO role. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to embarrass you a little bit here, but <laughs> I will say that when you came in, you weren't really... Um, what I would think of in a tech company as a kind of a technology CMO, you were really more about how do we build the brand and the experience and then pull these different levers to do it. So how did you think about it and how did you approach it when you first came in and to, to build the branding for Tonal? Well, well, I give a lot of credit in my career to my started Procter & Gamble, which really taught me a lot of the fundamentals of marketing. Uh, I had, you know, P&G was a very much a, a database consumer centric organization. And that, that is really where I got my start. Uh, I moved over to L'Oreal, worked on the Ralph Lauren brand for a bit, which was really about life, lifestyle and storytelling. Uh, and then moved over and really jumped into fitness with- um, and, and before that, some of those were like hair products and things, right? That's right. Tide laundry okay. detergent and Pantene shampoo. So, okay. So, so I mean, that's pretty diverse, right? Different it is. types of packaged goods. It is. But uh, th I think the, really the beautiful part about marketing is that there's so many transferable skills. And when you think about working on iconic brands that I've had the privilege of working on over my career, um, I really brought a lot of that learning to Tonal and, and really finding out, you know, what's the core essence of the brand? You know, strength is obviously an incredible, incredible equity to build upon. And so, you know, it really was, was very obvious, I think, to, to think about strength in all of its forms. 
So Tonal helps you not just be physically strong, but also mentally and emotionally strong and ready to tackle the day and tackle life. And what, what better time to be setting up uh, you know, strength in all of its forms than the world of COVID? You know, there's emotional drain, there's family drain. Yeah. Well, maybe, so, yeah. Well, I think building on that a little bit, it's this, mm -hmm. this almost, I don't know if tension is the right word, but people, when they think of fitness, I think the first thing they think about is aerobic exercise. And you see that clearly with Peloton and, and mm -hmm. other people that are in this category. Strength is something that has been kind of that area over on one side of the gym and people think of Schwarzenegger and they think of bodybuilders and that sort of thing. And at the same time, as I understand it, there have been a lot of studies, et cetera, that shown that strength training is actually far more important than aerobic training in terms of fitness, health, losing weight, all that sort of thing. But it's not known for that. So how do you come in and kind of overcome that? Like, what's the challenge mm -hmm. for you in, in overcoming that consumer perception? It's a great question. Um, and I think you're right. All the studies do really point out that the key to longevity and quality of life is strength training and creating, you know, a strong body. So, um, you know, our initial target was really going after folks who already strength train and have reached a plateau and are looking for something uh, to really jumpstart the, the routine. And then as, as we have tackled that target and penetrated it, we're really expanding to other folks um, and doing a little bit of education to let, let people understand that, you know, cardio is unidimensional. It's important to heart health. When you think about really your overall body, you know, strength training is something that's fundamental and it's, it's proven by science. Uh, so I think that became an important pillar, the education piece. And then uh, letting people know that, you know, 76% of people know that strength training is good for overall health. But the key barriers are really about size of equipment, getting it into your home. It's been big and bulky in the past. And then the knowledge that you need to strength train, right? People don't know where to start. If you're a couch potato and you're just getting going, it's often intimidating to walk into a gym and see a, a sea of equipment. And so we believe that we've tackled some of those problems with the design and the intelligence built behind Tunnel. So if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Conybeer and you're listening to Launchpad on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio. And I'm joined via Zoom by Chris Stadler, the Chief Marketing Officer at Tonal. So you've done a good job of explaining kind of what the product is mm -hmm. here, but how do you, when you come into a company, how do you actually come in and then start to build the stories and the messaging and actually mm -hmm. put it into action? So you come into this role, you, sign, you show up and you're running marketing. Like mm -hmm. what do you actually do? Mm-hmm. Great question. So, you know, the first thing we needed to do was understood what the core essence of the brand was, you know, develop brand guidelines and brand standards, and then key strategies that we think are going to help drive awareness and purchase intent on our key, our target consumer. So we had, there had been a lot of work done on understanding our target consumer. And so we built on that and, and worked with um, several good agencies to really develop ad campaigns at the top of the funnel, starting to drive awareness that we're the smartest home gym out there and we use digital weights to help get you stronger faster so it's very simple core that's the essence of the message that we wanted to communicate and then certainly as someone starts working their way down the marketing funnel there are mid funnel um, purchase barriers that we wanted to address so installation for example was an issue people didn't know is it safe to hang on my wall do i have to hang it myself um, price was another was another thing we had to tackle 
So you mentioned before, it's a $2,900 product, all in gets close to $4,000. A financing at 149 a month was really a key unlock, right? And so uh, we really sort of worked across each of these purchase barriers to really move the customer down the funnel. And then the last piece um, was our inside sales department. So um, people wanted to feel and experience digital weights because that's a new proposition, right? These aren't dumbbells and, and uh, traditional metal weights. So we have an inside sales team that does a video demo, or you can come into one of our showrooms across the country and really feel it for yourself. And some folks wanted to, you know, to touch it and feel it, and some were fine seeing it in our, in our virtual showroom. Um, so, so really, it sounds like the marketing funnel was was core to the to the success of the brand. Yeah, and and to do that with a marketing funnel, fundamentally, it's a recognition that this is what people like to call a considered purchase, right? Yes. It's four thousand dollars. It's not they just see an ad, they click through and do it. So you might think people do that, but in reality, it's probably I saw it at my friend's house, I saw it here, I touched it, mm -hmm. I thought about it, and then maybe it doesn't show up in your metrics. It looks like somebody just came through, but it's hard to imagine somebody buying a $4,000 piece of equipment and bolting it to their wall without checking in with their family and other people first. So that recognition coupled with a very methodical process of looking at it step by step by step in this mm -hmm. funnel. That's right. So, so when you look at something that's complex like this, we were really excited to get you on board and because of your background in packaged goods, et cetera. What was the process like for you when you were considering joining Tunnel? Because at the time we had just launched, it was very early days. We hadn't figured out a lot of the marketing and it wasn't as obvious as it is to a lot of people today. How do you go through that process of deciding, hey, I think I actually want to join this company and I think it's a good fit? It, it, it was a big leap. And at first I hadn't heard of the brand. Uh, you know, we were just getting going. I think we had moved from our San Francisco showroom to maybe have been a week or two into national distribution. Um, and so I flew out to San Francisco. I was living in Florida at the time. So it was quite a, a, a big step uh, and met Ali, our founder, uh, and fell in love with two things. First of all, his leadership style. He's a smart guy, you know, a very kind and, and passionate servant leader. That was something that, that attracted me to, to the company. And then when he demonstrated the product, um, frankly, in about 10 minutes, I was sold. You know, I've been in the fitness world for 10 years. <laughs> I, I had, I had yeah. been at, at you know, the, the biggest and most successful gym in the country, you know, biggest and most successful endurance uh, event company in the world. Um, and I knew that this was going to transform fitness forever uh, and, and was really something new, different um, and, and game changing. And, and that's something I wanted to be a part of. And you mentioned before, you know, I had never been as, at a startup. I was not a Silicon Valley uh, bred person. Uh, so it's been, it's been great for me. It's been a new, a new experience, a new, a new journey. And I've loved every minute of it. Yeah. Well, it's one of these interesting things that happens at lots of startups that you came into, which is it, there might've been, it might've been too early for you to have joined say a year sooner, not saying you couldn't have done it, but it might, we That's might right. not have been able to attract somebody with your background in that, that time frame. And then there starts to be discussion from the company side when they're bringing in somebody high powered like you, which is, hey, um, you know, are they really going to be able to fit into a small company environment? And that's one of those things that we always think about as board members or investors, like what's the right time for people to come in for the growth of the company? Mm -hmm. And was that something you were thinking about as well? Like, can this company do the things that I'd like to do? And can I, Chris, 
you know, make do with what are initially pretty small budgets at the company? Yeah, I, th I think there's a couple of things. You're right. The, the timing is critical. Um, I, you know, my last two companies, Equinox and, and Ironman, were both, um, while decent, uh, you know, decent sized companies, very iconic brands, of course, were also very scrappy. And, you know, we, we were very ROI driven and budget conscious. And so that um, was a, a good set away from moving from a big company like P&G and L'Oreal to a startup. Uh, but I think you're right. It does take it does take uh, a little bit of an adjustment. And I think you know you need to check your ego at the door that you're not writing hundreds of millions of dollars of checks to TV stations for your ad to run, and that it's going to be you know a journey to get there and a process. And so um, those were all things that I was excited to do, and I'm glad that I did. Yeah. No. We're we're as I mentioned, we're thrilled to have you on board. And I'm I'm curious when you look at your journey with the company, mm -hmm. what was the biggest challenge for you personally? Uh, great question. I think, you know, the product is so complex and so incredible that distilling it down into 30 seconds, uh, we worked with Anomaly, uh, a world-renowned agency on our latest commercial um, that is doing very well at building the business. Um, but, you know, th there's so many different choices and so many different angles. And I think, you know, one macro theme of my career has really been staying consumer-centric. And so, you know, I think we, we did a lot of research. We talked to our customers. We found out what were the nuggets that really mattered to them and, and landed on as an example of revolutionary digital weights as something that really was new and different versus the versus competition. And so, you know, sort of fine tuning the message and making sure we got it right. You know, it's never going to be perfect. And I'm always a believer in testing and learning and never being satisfied. But I think that distilling that down to, you know, two sentences was, was a big challenge for the team and for myself. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's really good perspective. And one of the things that you have spent a lot of time on this year, and boy, have you been brave to do this, is you've been visiting a lot of the stores that we've been opening around the country. Would, would love to hear your thoughts on the store strategy and why it's important to Tunnel. Absolutely. So we, uh, we have six showrooms right now uh, in New York City, Chicago, Miami, uh, San Francisco, LA uh, and we are at DC and those are really branding moments. They're selling moments um, and they allow us to, to get really close to our customer. Uh, and, you know, we, we initially, I think when we initially started uh, two years ago, before I got here, we were spending a lot of money on build out, you know, a lot of money on great locations. And we, we really, the first step that we needed to do to get our retail models under control was to really focus on costs. And so we got our build-out costs down and we got made sure that we were in great locations in great malls when we did so um, and did a lot of research. And I think the six locations that we have now are premier, they're performing well, and they're helping us drive the brand. Uh, the, other, the other piece of it was a partnership approach. So we have um, places like Neighborhood Goods that are kind of mini DTC department stores. And they've been very efficient for us. You know, we pay a little bit of money in rent. Um, we're direct to consumers, so we don't pay a rev share. And they've given us a great platform to get in front of uh, customers in new markets where we, we, where we weren't before. And from a nuts and bolts point of view, we all know what's going on with the pandemic. Why do you need to go to the stores when they open up? What are you actually doing when you get there and they're getting the stores going? Uh, my, my primary thing is to, is to motivate the teams. You know, I think having someone like myself come from corporate, um, reinforce how important they are to our business um, help train, you know, I often give demos to new employees and help them understand, you know, critical uh, selling points for our customers. 
and really get them fired up that this is a brand that's taking off. You know, when you look at brick and mortar over um, Black Friday weekend, it was down 52% nationally. We were up 600%. Um, so these stores are, you know, while traffic's down, certainly, we're getting very, very high quality customers and leads coming into the store to experience tunnel. Yeah, and I think people, they set up appointments and you're very careful with cleaning them and all of that sort of stuff. Are. So yes. all the nuts and bolts of what you need to do, you're yes. addressing. Yeah. And, and for people that might be particularly concerned, they can go into a virtual showroom, I believe, right? That's right. That's right. You can set up an appointment either in a physical location uh, in your hometown, or you can go into a virtual demo. And we do uh, live demos over Zoom, one-on-one. -on -one. You can ask questions, uh, you know, have someone take you through our programs and workouts um, and really understand um, any detailed questions you may have about the product. And those have been very successful. About 20% of our total sales are sold through uh, live virtual demos and uh, through our inside sales team. And should we expect more and more stores to come? And, and then the follow-up question is, I personally have had a lot of people from different places around the world ask me about when can I get my tunnel in, I don't know, <laughs> Germany or Dubai or Canada. What can you share on that front? Absolutely. In January, we're going to be making a big announcement and we're going to be tripling our points of distribution uh, from 18 to 58 in the United States. So exciting news to come. Uh, and then likely we will be uh, moving into our into Canada uh, in the coming year. We have opened an office in Toronto. So we're um, hiring a lot of folks there. We're excited about Canadian expansion at some point later this year. Uh, and then globally to come. You know, I know we did a lot of uh, inquiries from, from uh, Europe. Uh, and folks are excited there, and, and we are too, but that's going to be down the line a little bit. Also, forward-looking with Tunnel, one of the things that if you go into the forums and you look in the Facebook community and other places, people are constantly surprised at how many features get rolled out. And since what we're really looking at is you have a device that goes on your wall, and it's kind of like a really, really, really big Android phone with resistance and, and cables inside, it means there's a huge amount of flexibility in the platform. So you can just roll out update after update after update where you add different types of functionality and mm -hmm. maybe just talk a bit about what has been rolled out that surprised people and what does it imply for how the, the platform will continue to improve over time for people that have already bought one as well as future customers. One of the beautiful parts of this product is that we collect lots and lots of information. So we have the largest database of strength training in the entire world, right? So we know what's effective in helping people get stronger and we know what's not effective. And so I think folks have been really excited about the graphs, the metrics, the data that we're able to generate. And we're, that's you know always in a state of constant improvement. Um, in addition, we have 17 points on the product itself that get feedback and help you improve your form. So unlike some of our competitive products that use you know, a low quality camera and are really using you know, sort of visual imagery, we have 17 points of distribution throughout the product um, that collect data. So I think this sort of the data and intelligence piece has been a big surprise. And then you know, certainly the community aspect of, has been, has been well, very, very well received. You mentioned our Facebook community, it's vibrant and alive. You know, our members are supporting each other in their strength training journey. And then um, we're weaving some of those components into the product. Uh, so you can work out with someone virtually. You know, if you have a friend that you, you know, has a tonal as well, um, you can do a, a program or a workout together. And that's, again, been very, very well received. 
Yeah, well, one of the things that has been a very pleasant surprise for me with the company is the engagement of the community. And yes. you have folks like Kate on your team and others that really do an amazing job of getting people engaged. And when you go into that official community, just the level of involvement from people is pretty startling, actually. And one of the things that I think that happens is when a company starts to roll out these features and people in the community can see that some of those features are tied to very specific feedback they gave in the community, mm-hmm. it starts to become this virtual virtuous spiral where there's more and more engagement mm-hmm. and you and the, um, the, the, the product people over at Tunnel don't need to do as much imagination. You can just look at the community about, okay, here's where we need to go because we know that this is something people want over and over and over again. So it's worth the work. That's right. Kate is a superstar. She's built a, a great culture in that community. Um, we do something called Feedback Fridays. And every Friday we ask our, our um, members for you know, features that they would love to see. And what's exciting to see is I think nine of the 10 uh, that were on the last couple of weeks were addressing and delivering. And you're exactly right. What, what better way to build great NPS? You know, our NPS store is at about 85 right now, you know, commensurate with the, the likes of Apple, Google, and Facebook. And I think you know, if we can keep delighting our customers, that NPS will stay high. Yeah, and for people that aren't familiar with it, MPS is net promoter score. So to see any product that's in the 80s, you know, on a, mm-hmm. on a scale of very negative numbers all the way up to 100 is pretty unheard of, especially for a connected hardware product. I, I, I mean, what is the iPhone at? I think Apple as a, as a company is in the 80s. I, I don't know if- In the 80s, uh, was the yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so it's pretty remarkable. So. Anyways, we're going to need to take a break here, a very short break. Uh, When we come back, I'm going to continue our conversation with Chris and just talk about his path into becoming uh, really one of the premier CMOs in the tech and consumer industries today. So I'm Rob Conyveer. This is Launchpad on Business Radio, Service XM 132. We'll be right back. You're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio. Welcome back to Launchpad on SiriusXM Business Radio. I'm Rob Conybeer, a founder and managing director at Shasta Ventures, a leading venture capital firm where we focus on investing in early stage companies. So I'm continuing my conversation via Zoom with Chris Stadler, the chief marketing officer at Tunnel, which is the world's most intelligent home gym. Chris, again, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Rob. So we spent a bunch of time talking about Tonal in the first half of the show, but I'm curious about, I'm curious more about your career progression and some of the things mm-hmm. that you've done over time. You're at Equinox, you ran mm-hmm. marketing at Ironman during a really interesting period for Ironman when it grew from kind of this niche organization and sport to uh, a worldwide brand. And as I understand it, you grew up in the Miami area in Florida. So I'm curious, when you go back to growing up in Florida, at at what point did you really start to think about your career progression and where you wanted to go? Uh, Great question. I I think when I was a kid, I always wanted to be an actor. That was my dream. And I I, I dreamt of being in Hollywood. Uh, When I graduated from Duke undergrad, I, I went into the entertainment business um, happened to be in finance, which I found was not a, a function that was was for me. 
um, but kind of gave me a little bit of exposure to the glitz and glamour of, of the industry. Um, and then realized I love marketing and I love people. And I was a psychology major undergrad, uh, wanted to get into marketing, went and back and got my MBA at Michigan, and then really fell in love with marketing at PNG and really loved understanding consumer behavior, um, consumer needs, how to light consumers with innovation. Uh, and that's really where I felt like I got in the groove with my career. So had you thought about marketing before business school or was it something that you learned about and then you realized, oh, this is great because it's applying this thing I enjoy about storytelling yeah. to the actual telling stories about products um, and not just necessarily stories about people. I think that's precisely the transition that clicked in my head at some point uh, in my mid twenties was, you know, storytelling doesn't need to be in a, in a feature film or a TV show. It can be for a product. And so, you know, the, some of the products I've worked on Tide was really about telling the story of a harmonious family and how a mom or dad can play a role in that by delivering great, great laundry. You know, Ralph Lauren was really telling a story of, of a dream of the American uh, you know, fa family as well, you know, and, and tradition and experience. Uh, and then Equinox was a really interesting experience as a brand and as a storyteller, really a very curated selection of people, almost like a nightclub atmosphere uh, and not for everyone, right? It was a very select group of people who loved it and felt welcome. Uh, and then Iron Man certainly was about people who, you know, typically had gone through something in life, a tragedy, you know, a death, a sickness, and really needed something to help overcome tragedy and really, you know, use determination, perseverance, and triumph to do something that almost seems impossible. And when you think about, you know, swimming 2.4 miles, biking 112 miles, and then doing a full marathon, you know, that seems crazy. And, and it's something that is doable if you set your mind to it. Well, so speaking of which, the, the idea of putting those three things together, who, who invented <laughs> that idea of three things that individually require a lot of effort? John and, Judy Collins, John and Judy Collins. He was a naval commander in Hawaii uh, about 30 years ago. And he, he dreamt up this crazy idea that we should see who's the strongest between swimmers, bikers, and runners. And uh, that, that idea really became a global phenomenon. And today is what has you know, created the largest endurance company in the world. Um, and again, created many, many stories. You, know, you mentioned the, the, the TV show on NBC and it, it's one of my favorite programs on, on television because it really dives into storytelling and um, again, overcoming tragedy to triumph. So how did you connect with the Ironman organization? Uh, they were looking for someone who had experience in fitness. Um, I had just taken the Equinox, I doubled the Equinox brand uh, in the course of four years and helped bring it overseas. So we had our first international launches in uh, Canada and Europe. And so it was exciting to me to have the opportunity to really uh, build a global brand. I mean, we had you know, 250 races in 53 countries around the world. So when you think about marketing across you know, languages, simply translations were an enormous feat. So, you know, I got to experience races in China and South Africa and Brazil, and it was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. And is it basically an inbound email you get from somebody or how do you find out about it? How'd they reach out to you? How did that connection actually happen? Uh, it was, it was actually on LinkedIn. Uh, I think it was, you know, standard, standard job uh, hunters. Uh, I was not looking for a job. I was very happy at Equinox and um, jumped at the opportunity 
And and when I actually saw the uh, the production side of it, side of it, the executive producer um, bullet point that kind of piqued my interest. Um, as I mentioned, it had always been a dream to work in Hollywood and to be able oh, to, to, to produce I a TV see. show um, was a dream. And then uh, you know being able to to get nominated and then win an Emmy was a lifelong ambition come true. So so you got this inbound. It sounds like LinkedIn with yeah. that in mail or whatever. Yeah. And it said Iron Man on it and you clicked on it. You're like, okay, okay, I'll take 10 seconds to look at this. And you're like, <laughs> oh, it says Iron Man. Okay, that's interesting. Oh, it says EP, executive producer on that's films. Right. And then you responded and then just an email thread got started or how did that yeah. Yeah, process unfold? Felt, felt like a great fit and jumped at the chance. So when you were there, how did the organization change? What did it grow from and to? Well, it, it was very much an events operations driven company. And so, um, you know, I built a, a marketing team probably from, from five to about over a hundred in the course of my, my time there, wow. uh, really, really building the brand, building um, campaigns, you know, uh, that translated globally and, and some needed to get modified globally. And obviously dealing with cultural differences was important. Uh, I produced probably over two or 300 TV shows um, both for NBC, ESPN, uh, international distribution uh, all over the world. Um, and, and that was really one of our, one of our, our core marketing vehicles was, was the, the TV programs and the storytelling that went along with it. We didn't just tell the story of the race and the pro athletes, but also told the story of human interest uh, that went along with it. So, so out of curiosity with that, was that a profit center for Ironman to, to sell these shows or was it viewed as something that was kind of like, hey, it'll break even, but it helps us grow our events and other revenue streams? It, it was revenue generating. It was revenue generating, but um, its its primary purpose was really was really marketing and giving us a platform for our sponsors and, and to drive registrations. So if you're just tuning in, I'm Rob Cunningham, and you're listening to Launchpad on Sirius XM's business radio, channel 132. And I am joined today via Zoom by Chris Stadler, the chief marketing officer of Tunnel, and previously the chief marketing officer of Ironman. So for the rest of the show, I'd like to kind of get a little philosophical. And as we talked about earlier, you're, you've been identified as one of the top 50 CMOs in the world, chief marketing officers in the world. And I suspect a lot of people listening have seen Mad Men and have mm -hmm. seen shows that talk about the golden era of Madison Avenue and the way that advertising and marketing used to be. What I'm curious about is how has marketing and kind of the practice of marketing as it applies to just companies in general evolved over the last several decades? What was it like before? What's it like now? And where is it headed? Mm -hmm. Great question. Um, I think, you know, certainly the the advent of, of influencers and, and uh, the role that they play in building brands is something that that's fairly new. You know, I think that that's evolving every day. You know, we have a lot of professional athletes that are very interested in Tonal that are naturally investors. Um, you know, and I think the power of celebrity is something that's always been important, but I think it's even becoming increasingly so, and, and not just to get attention, but to drive credibility. So these aren't, you know, our investors and our ambassadors are not just there because they're flashy, you know, Hollywood actors, but really because they, they embody strength and have proven themselves to be successful in their sport. And we believe they can help us 
um, drive awareness and credibility of our product. Um, so I think that's something that's, that's evolved over the years. You know, again, back to some of the fundamentals of marketing, understanding your, your customer and target consumer, developing a, a core equity, you know, driving that across all touch points and everything that you do, you know, the power of innovation, you know, and, and making sure that you have very clear points of difference versus key competitors, you know, that hasn't changed, you know, where I see it going, um, you know, certainly, you know, COVID has changed many categories and changed the world um, in 2020. And I think forever, you know, when you look at, at industries like the movie industry, um, you know, like, like at home fitness and, and the fitness category, uh, these are, are trends that had already started, I think, you know, Netflix has changed Hollywood and, and is changing it. And, you know, certainly at home fitness, the category has changed fitness, but COVID's really ignited that, that some of those trends and really, and jumpstarted them. So, so those would be some initial thoughts. Um, it certainly um, uh, makes some products more or less convenient um, and change the way people think about the world. So when you think very specifically about marketing channels, whether it's social media, whether it's TV, word of mouth, et cetera, what are your favorites? Just well, in general, I, it, both tonal, just in general, like things to think about that might not be obvious as well. Yeah, I, I love channels and, and um, opportunities that are that are metric driven, that are, we are able to get a very good handle on the success or failure. Um, so, you know, while often successful, I'm, I'm not a fan of out of home as an example, because you never really know what its impact was. You know, print, so that's like a you know, billboard, for example. A billboard, exactly. Okay. You know, print in similar fashion, you know, the dinosaur that's that, that's moving away very quickly. Um, but, but social certainly and digital channels are measurable. And that's a beautiful thing as a marketer to be able to experience. Um, OTT as a platform, you know, we get, we get good data from our, 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 our TV partner on OTT. You know, linear is a little bit trickier to measure. You know, we do our best given the, the tools that we have and, and do a pretty good job of it. But and, and linear would be like traditional TV or traditional radio. And then that's o right. OTT, I'm guessing is over the top. So that's like, if you were, what, what would be like, an over-the-top example, like like Hulu or, or Roku or some of these, you know, apps where you're streaming um, uh, programs directly to customers, not through a cable provider. So one of the things I was asking about a little bit before is how has marketing changed over the years? And one of the things that's clearly happened over the last couple of decades is the rise of performance marketing and things that you mm -hmm. can measure much more directly. How do you how do you keep yourself up to speed in terms of what those channels are, what the technologies are? Because as I understand it at business schools now, you can go in and, and major not just in marketing, but you can major mm -hmm. in performance marketing, or you can focus on different areas and go very deep, almost mm -hmm. like in Facebook or Google on their own. So for you as an executive, how do you learn about these things and come up to speed? Mm -hmm. I think, um, first of all, partnering with great agencies, you know, is, is one uh, first step. I think, I think we've, I've had agencies that weren't tapped into, you know, sort of the latest and greatest, and, and that's not helpful to us, um, but really partnering with folks that, that bring us, um, you know, new things to try, you know, Google shopping was something that we've recently invested in that has proved to be effective uh, and, you know, not being afraid to test and learn. So, um, you know, we, we, you know, we Peacock just launched um, a couple of months ago. And so we were an early um, 
entrant to help uh, really understand and, and try a new channel that was not yet proven. So, and, and do you build out a team to do that? So you find people and, you know, I could think mm -hmm. of some of the people on the tunnel team, but where are these people you've worked with before? Or how do you find people you bring on the team to manage these different efforts and experiments? Yeah, we have a fantastic VP of growth um, who, who's built a great performance marketing engine for us. And then talking frankly to CMOs out there and sharing um, more stories, sharing um, successes and failures and really staying networked and connected to, to other CMOs in the industry has been a huge help to me. Um, I think it's often, you know, it, it's an underestimated um, tool, but your network is really something that I think is powerful. And over the years, when you build up relationships and, and have, you know, the openness to come call and say, you know, I just did something that was crazy. You know, what do you think? Or what have you done lately that's working and not working um, is, is very, very valuable. How big is that group of people that you trade notes with? Like who, you know, can you, can you name a few of the people or like maybe yeah, the companies? Or I'm just curious how that works. Right, frankly, a lot of my, my P&G network has been, has been very valuable. Um, the, that the, that uh, team of my incoming class at P&G, there were actually 12 of us back in Cincinnati in 1998. A lot of us still keep in touch. Um, some are at Pepsi. Um, Somewhere at Google, and uh, it's it's a really smart group of people that I turn to for advice quite often. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's easy for people when they get into their careers, and especially mid-career, before you get further along, to let your network grow, follow, and or fallow, and you actually have to do the work to keep it going, helping out other people in the network, et cetera, and. One thing I'm curious about is, is there somebody in particular that served as a mentor to you that really drove you to a lot of what you've done in terms of building out your, your skill set as a, a, a head of marketing? Yeah, th there are a couple that stand out. Some of my um, early brand managers uh, and, and uh, leaders of P&G, uh, Patricia DeMichael was the Tide Marketing Director, um, someone who I really looked up to, who mentored me. Uh, C. Nicholson was was someone who I worked with at Equinox. She was the prior CMO of Pepsi. Um, she's been a great advocate of mine and and someone who I trust and can call easily. Uh, and uh, you know, I think Harvey Spivak at Equinox has always been you know a, a loyal friend and someone who's who's looked out for me. Uh, and and I feel very very comfortable calling. And, and those folks you know stay with you and and they're they're really, really important to, to getting better and, and being comfortable with your decisions. Yeah, and I'm guessing you get calls from other people as well. And they say, hey, Chris, I'd like to talk about this problem I'm facing or something like that. So you have to invest time in that when I'm sure all you want to do is be 24 by 7 tonal. But <laughs> you, you know, to, to have a network like that, you have to invest in it as well. And that's making sure that you're there for people when they need help and guidance or introductions, et cetera. Well, I think whether it's someone um, who's more senior and, and a peer or whether it's a junior um, a mentee, uh, there's always something to be learned from, from new relationships. Um, and, you know, you know, a, lo a lot of the brands that I've worked on recently, you know, have skewed a bit older. So, you know, at, at Equinox, at Ironman, uh, at Tonal, you know, our sweet spot is right around sort of the 35 to 45 year old range. So I haven't had as much exposure, exposure to teens and 20 somethings. Uh, and that's an area where I often seek counsel and input um, to market to younger folks. Yeah, well, this definitely ties a lot of um, threads together for me because I've mm -hmm. definitely noticed that you post on LinkedIn all the time. 
And yes. I think people that are active with LinkedIn, they really do understand the value of networks and building those relationships over time. So one other thing I wanted to ask you about is when you just step back and let's put fitness aside for a minute mm-hmm. and let's put aside maybe the obvious one like Apple or something like that. What is your favorite brand or a couple of brands out there where you're like, wow, they're doing this really unique, great job mm-hmm. of building a brand, telling stories, et cetera, that's out there that may not be fully appreciated, but is you really admire? Uh, great question. Uh, I think Roan uh, is, is a sister company of ours uh, through Old Catterton. Um, they're doing a great job in the athleisure space. Um, you know, we're, we're tight with them and we, we share our stories and, and have, have partnered together. Uh, they're doing great stuff. Um, what do they do? What do they make? They make athleisure wear. Um, I think that their start was in men's uh, and they've really built a great following. They have excellent product um, and, we, and we've shared, you know, retail approaches. We've shared, um, you, know, you know, marketing channels, successes and failures. Uh, and, and I found that particularly when you have a sister company within a portfolio uh, company, they've been often very um, easy to work with and, and, and swap stories. And that's a brand that I think has done a really nice job carving out a niche. You know, Lululemon is a formidable, formidable competitor and, and they've done a nice job um, establishing a, a good foray into the, into the category. Actually, that prompts something else. So L. Catterton is one of our fellow investors with Shasta in Tunnel and some other investors. Was this your first experience being in a venture-backed company that has the whole series of investors as opposed to something that's either very tightly held or public? Yeah, when I first joined uh, Iron Man, we were owned by Providence um, and we sold to Wanda Corporation for close to a billion dollars. Um, and so that was you know, the first real sort of transaction that I had gone through. Um, and, and it was an interesting experience to, to, to live through and was, was a great success for the company on both sides. So we're halfway between Christmas and New Year's, and this is the time when New Year's resolutions come along. Yes. And I'm curious, um, what are what are your your upcoming New Year's resolutions personally for Chris Stadler? <laughs> uh, great, great point. I uh, I want to get outdoors more. Um, you know, I we, I live in San Francisco, and I haven't had the chance to experience. You know, a lot of the surrounding areas, so that's something I want to do. Um, I think spend more um, informal time with my team. You know, I think that's something that, you know, there's, there's a lot of work to get through uh, and carving out time to just get to know each other better and and uh, have informal chats. You know, COVID certainly makes it more difficult, whether that's, you know, virtual chat or hopefully at some point soon, you know, a walk or a run uh, is something that's high on my list. Um, and then really, you know, making sure that 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 my team is motivated, inspired, and challenged, and feels safe to try new stuff. You know, that's something that, you know, as we grow the company, we have big aspirations ahead of us. Um, and my focus in 2021 is going to be try to, to to deliver for the company what what we need to deliver. And that's going to require and with, coordinate. And and with New Year's resolutions, you know, I think they're a, a pretty famous time frame. But for fitness, it's a really big one. And and why is it, I think people are familiar with this. People come back yeah. from Christmas and New Year's, they had the proverbial hangover, they've had too much turkey <laughs> and they realize too that much they, want to, they want to lose a few pounds, too much turkey. Yeah. 
what? How do you think about that trend, and what does it mean for what does it mean for Tunnel and just fitness companies in general? And we've got about probably about just two and a half minutes to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, al alongside um, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, you know, it's really you know the key time in fitness to win, uh, and it's oftentimes when fitness companies will launch new ad campaigns. You know, we certainly want to attack it. You know, I think you know it's a bit cliche that the, the idea of a New Year's resolution. You know, there's oftentimes now you see the anti-resolution. You know, where you know resolutions are often broken, and so we want to create something that's not going to be an unfulfilled promise, but something that's going to be really a way of life and a habit. And so um, I think that's very much consistent with um, the tonal approach, where we want to be integrated into your life. We want to be around for a long time. And not just something that you're doing in January and February and then forget about for the rest of the you year. Know, that's a really interesting point because when you think about New Year's resolutions, they feel great when you get started. Totally. And you know it's against this battleground of resolutions that have just failed, you know, and there are a few that <laughs> stick over the years, but there there are a lot of statistics that show that New Year's resolutions get out to a really strong start in general. And then they fade away after a month or two, and it's kind of this power of habit. So, how does how does tunnel overcome that for people that actually want to lose their weight or well, we actually, get stronger? We actually ha we have uh, workouts that are individual workouts, and then we also have four to six six week programs. And I think those are perfect for a New Year's resolution because they're kind of a bit more bite sized You're not committing to a twelve month program, but you're creating to it you know something that's very attainable. Um, it's very rewarding when you finish a program. You know, I often post my uh, my final screen on social media because it's a great feeling to have finished a program and uh, good satisfaction. So I would say break things up into bite-sized chunks and they, they feel a lot more attainable, certainly. Yeah, and it sounds like by putting that program together and you have the measurement, then you can see the improvement and people wanna stick in there. That's right, we, we have our strength score, uh, which is a number that is you know, almost like the Fitbit steps. And it's a good, it's a good metric to, to hold yourself accountable and really importantly, see your, your progress. And, and what's your really strength see, score? Uh, mine is about, let's see, I think it's about 850 or 900 right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm trying to break through like 630 right now. I mean, it's okay. interesting. <laughs> I was so resistant to this idea and then I found that it actually is this crazy motivator, but we can, we can save this for a future show. Chris, thank yes. you so much for joining me today. It's been great chatting, Robert. I appreciate it. Yeah, and for people who want to find Tunnel, obviously you go to tunnel.com, but for people who'd like to keep up with you in particular, what's your Twitter handle or other ways to reach you? Uh, CStadler1 is Twitter. Um, I most, uh, most of the time I'm posting on LinkedIn. So that's Christopher Stadler is my, uh, is my name on LinkedIn. Great. Well, Chris, thanks again. Thanks, Rob. And also, thank you for joining us today. If you missed any of the last hour, you can find it on the SiriusXM app and follow Business Radio on Twitter at SXM Business. You can also follow me on Twitter at Rob Conybeer. I'm Rob Conybeer, a founder and managing director of Shasta Ventures, and you've been listening to Launchpad on SiriusXM Business Radio 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.